Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and chavruta, Yardena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Yevamot, daf Yud, page 10. Although, I'm actually going to start at the very bottom of page 9. Rav Safar Mitzar Game. This is, you know, he's, Rav Safar is continuing the conversations that's been going on. But for our purposes, it's really just to have the lead-in to the top of, of page 10. Um, Rav Safar explains, right, we've got this case of where one brother is permitted to marry only one woman and another brother isn't permitted to marry only another woman, meaning a specific other woman, right? And so then the question is, you know, what about the wife of the brother that was not alive at the time that he died, right? That means that the two brothers were never alive. They were both from the same parents, but they were never alive at the same time. So with the case of the wife of the brother with whom he was never in the world at the same time, so we say that this is a case, meaning this is a question that will come up um, when we've got six brothers, meaning, you know, the oldest and the youngest, let's say, we're not in the world at the same time. So this is all the, the tail end of what's going on and the, um, the, the previous stuff here. Right, and it's all according to Rabbi Shimon. And what happens is, our daf opens the simanech with a mnemonic, right? And the mnemonic is, you know, how could this possibly happen? And that's why we need to know that, like, we've got all these complicated cases on the previous stuff, and we talked about how they do not seem to be hypothetical, and they're all hypothetical. They do not seem to be far-reaching. They may not be common, but they seem sadly realistic, really realistic in their potential. The simanech. So now we've got the mnemonic. To remember how exactly that you could end up with any kind of of situation of yibum kicking in, right? So we've got or or even to chalitza, right? So mate nolad v'yibem, mate nolad v'yibem. So what's the mnemonic? He died, was born, and and did yibum. Died, was born, and did yibum. Meaning, what happens? We've got a whole bunch of brothers, right? The point is that we have six. Brothers, let's call them one, two, three, four, five, six. One dies. Six is not alive at the time that one dies. And so we end up, and then, and then, no, I'm sorry. One, let's say this again. You understand why we want the charts, right? This is why it's so hard to say it without the charts. If I could put it up on the chalkboard and everybody could see it, then I would not be fumfering over my vocabulary here. Okay, so let's say this again. We have brother A. A dies before B is born. C has yibum with A's wife, meaning A is dead, right? Then we've got D. D also dies. And then ABCDE is born. And F has Yibum with D, with D's wife, rather, right? Meaning, so now we've got, among the six brothers, we have two who died and two who did Yibum and two others who were born um, after the older ones um, had already died. The two who had died were already di- died. So now what happens? Um, if they, let's see, who, if B, if the Yibum brothers died, I mean, the people who did Yibum, right, for the brothers who had died, if those two themselves died at childless, then what would happen? Then the wives would have to come to have Yibum from other brothers, right, for Yibum again, 
And then the question is, one second, but how could that be if they were maybe even not even alive at the time that all of this, that the first brother had been alive, I mean, had died, and then they would never, they would, they were never in the world at the same time. And perhaps then that would be a prohibited relationship, right? So that's where it gets tricky. So let's read the Siman again. Mate nolad v'yibem, mate nolad v'yibem, meaning the case of one who dies, another is born, and yet a third does yibum for the case of the first one who died, and then that whole cycle is repeated. So, all and this kind of case, and we're going to see more and more of these cases, but I would say, in contrast to the examples that we've said that seem to be, you know, terrible but feasible, I have this, I'm not saying this couldn't have happened. Of course, it could have happened. But we're talking about such, so many precise details for the sake of establishing the parameters of these cases. I, I don't want to call it a boundary pushing case because it's not like trying to establish something new in that way. But I do think it's a parameter exploring case. Let's see how far these evil rules go. What happens if you have a whole bunch of brothers and they line up and you end up with several different cases of Yibum and then yet again, another case of Yibum on the first, like it's Yibum Al-Gabe Yibum. It's if, right, the first brother dies, the brother who does Yibum, he dies. Then you have another case, you know, it's a domino effect kicking in for to make sure that really what happens then is they're all working to still for the first dead brother's name um, to establish that from a child, you know, by having a child in his name, even though now we're further removed. Um, and then the Gemara goes on and it gets very detailed, right, of how Rabbi Huda Hanasi does not really, you know, necessarily agree with all of these general principles. And there's a whole big discussion about it. And we come, we come back to cases, again, of, you know, the more just, but so what happens, and then I'm going to turn over to your idea in one second. Yaakov, Yaakov here is a, a straw man, right? Meaning it's not, it's a it's a name to say I'm weird that I'm naming everybody by letters. Yaakov shte achayot anas. What happens if Yaakov rapes two sisters and then they give birth to sons and he had two other sons and they, those sons, meaning his sons, not by the rape sisters, but by some other women that we don't know who they are, Let's say the two those two sons married the rape sisters, and then they died, and then the yibum presumably would have to be done by by whom by the babies with the who these women themselves had birth. Meaning, this is not a practical case, right? This is very much a like I feel like everybody's sitting around in the Beit Midrash saying like, okay, but wait, I've got a case, right? And then they go through this. The one who is prohibited to this one is permitted to that one. And then it goes on to say like, no, you know, then the, they can switch. Can they, can the one who's prohibited to that one could be permitted to that one. And it gets, you know, more and more convoluted because exactly what happens when you set it up in this kind of, like I say, domino kind of effect to, to make sure that you know what would happen in this case that I think it's probably safe to say is, well, let's say it's incredibly highly unlikely that it would never happen. There's always going to be something for the tabloids, but it's, it's not a practical case this. It's to say what happens in the case of rape, what happens in the case of siblings where one dies, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this is all very boundary pushing and, and you could totally picture like a classroom or like, wait, but I have a case, but wait, I have a case. 
I'm going to circle back here to remember on yesterday's staff, we had that interaction between Rebbe and Levy, right? Where Levy claimed that maybe you could actually add a 16th case to the Mishnah, uh, to our original Mishnah. Rebbe basically told him, nope, you can't do that. He, he said it in a very harsh way. And then, you know, we got sidetracked by a lot of other discussions. But now we go back to Levy again. Right? But even so, Levy incorporated basically uh, this extra case. And for him, it was the case of, uh, of one's mother who was raped by one's father in his brisa. Um, and he listed as a 16th potential case to add to the Arayos, uh, you know, that we had lifted of the 15. The Tani Levy. And so Levy taught in a brisa, Emo, concerning one's mother, Sometimes she exempts her co-wife. Um, and sometimes she does not exempt her co-wife. Kate said how? If one's mother was married to his father, right? And she later married his, meaning her son's paternal brother, and he died, okay? So she marries her son's paternal brother, and he dies childless. This is the case of one's mother who does not exempt her co-wife because by law, she was not really married to the deceased. In other words, the woman was the deceased father's wife. And since a father's wife is, uh, you know, is basically not allowed and it's curries that you can get, right? You you can't have any type of marriage with, with anything that is like a curries level uh, 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 prohibition. So the deceased could never have been married legally to her. So although he lived with her, that's the point here, although he lived with her, they weren't actually legally wed. And so therefore, in a case where someone couldn't have really been legally wed, in other words, there was a relationship here that never should have happened. And that brother, sorry, that husband passes away, right? His wife doesn't have to do Yibam because they never should have been married uh, they never should have been married to begin with, but she would not exempt right the, the her the co-wives because that marriage never should have taken place. So it's kind of another very interesting permutation. But if one's mother was raped by a father, she wasn't married to the man who raped her. Then he said, and then she later married a paternal brother, right? In that case, the mother would exempt her co-wife from Chalitza and Yibum because she actually is allowed to she was allowed to be married to the deceased. Okay. The sorry. And even though the sages taught in our Mishnah 15 cases, right? Uh sorry, we really could add this 16th case, so to this one. And just to go back to that, um, you know, we saw earlier that according to Rabbi Yehuda, he he doesn't allow paternal brother to marry um, the the woman uh, uh, the woman that his father by you know raped basically. But he does agree that if the brother does marry her, the marriage does take effect, um, and uh, because it's not actually a, 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 it's not a prohibition that's punishable by kares. But the important point here is that Levy actually goes ahead and makes the bold move of actually adding a 16th case. So then they're going to get into a discussion about adding this, you know, other woman to the list. Amar um, Levi Shlakish to Rabbi Yochanan. So Rabbi Yochanan says to Rish Lakish, Lelevi da Amar da Nami Katani. According to Levi, who said 
that the Tana teaches even, you know, about cases that would sort of occur as a, as a, as a I like how this is phrased, as a nami, as an if, right? In other words, he even would teach this case about a, a, a deceased married woman, uh, the deceased who was married his wife unlawfully, right? Like they weren't really supposed to be married together, right? Lene, let him also teach, right, that a woman could basically make patur her co-wife from chalitza nibum in this case. And this is a very interesting case. So a man, right, whose brother died childless, goes ahead and he does chalitza with his yavama. And then he decides later that he actually, he comes back and he actually marries her. He did like an act of kiddushin with her. And he actually becomes uh, his, uh, his wife. Now, we're going to learn later on that once a person does chalitza, the yavama actually becomes forbidden to him. Um, and uh, is is forbidden to him again. So that's sort of an interesting thing. But here we're talking about a case where, yes, they did Chalitza, and then he goes ahead and he does Kedushim with her after he does Chalitza. And then what happens? He actually dies childless, okay? So the one, so this woman, you know, basically now has to go to, the, again, back to the brothers, right? Who she had to go to after her first husband died, Right? And then now she has to go back again after the second husband died. And so if she had a co-wife, right, they both would be exempt from doing chalitza nibun. Demigu, nami asra. Because since she, the original Yavama, is actually now at this point forbidden to all the surviving brothers under the penalty of Kari's because she never should have been, there never should have been Kedushin here. The co-wife is also going to be forbidden from Yivun and there won't be chalitza. So basically what Rachel Lucky is just trying to say is, wait, I think we could even add a 17th case, right? Like once we're starting to add cases, let's just add cases. Um, says And he says, no, because the Mishnah isn't going this far ahead. Like it's not dealing with, she's in subject to the rule of a, of, of a co-wife's co-wife. Okay. So now, the, you know, so. Again, I think this is an int- the Gemara then is going to want to go to why is that Rabbi Yochanan's answer? Um, and I'm not going to go through all of that. But, uh, you know, I think it's interesting to see that one sort of it's been opened by Levi, the possibility that maybe we could add an extra case to this Mishnah. Like, again, we see the Amurayim start to have fun with this. So then Rish Lakish is like, all right, I'm going to add like a 17th case. And, you know, Anne, as you said, I think this stuff is supposed to sort of be, uh, you know, where they sort of try to see what are all the different possible permutations that they could uh, have with this. And I guess a piece of what Rabbi Yochanan isn't happy with and why he sort of starts Rish Lakish is, you know, once we start adding on to the Mishnah, I guess in a way it could just sort of go on forever. And at some point we have to be able to say, the Mishnah had 15 cases. There's a reason it only had 15 cases. You know, it's very different than when we have a Mishnah, which sort of lists two cases or three cases. And then the Gemara wants to know, are those the only cases? Or why did they list only those two or three? But 15 is a very, very, very long list. And you have to believe that. And it's not a typical number for a Mishnah to list either. And so you have to, you know, sort of understand that once the Mishnah goes to 15, that had to be a very curated list. And I think it's also interesting just to add that Rebbe, who's the, you know, redactor of the Mishnah, 
once Levy challenges with him, again, this happened on yesterday's app, he gets very upset about it because here's Rebbe who wrote the Mishnah. And it's like, in a way, like Levy's challenging him being like, nah, wasn't a good Mishnah. You could have added an extra case <laughs> there. And so it's kind of bold in a way for Levy to go ahead and teach his Brysa to be like, I'm going to add an extra case. I don't like Rebbe's list. So even though Rebbe answers him very harshly, when I sort of see the discussion today, I get it. Rebbe is, we say, is responsible for the structure of the Mishnah. And he didn't put in 15 by chance. That was very deliberate. So once you get like Levy coming and say, I could add extra and Rach Lakish, again, they don't all live at, Rach Lakish doesn't live as, uh, you know, Rach Lakish and Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan at least did learn with Rebbe. So they're all sort of around the same time. It, 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 it almost in a way it becomes too much. And so I think Rabbi Yochanan carries on the tradition of his Rebbe, right? Literally his Rebbe of Rebbe Yehuda Nasi. And he basically was Rach Lakish. He's like, no, no. We're not adding cases. Rebbe didn't want Levy to. I'm not letting you either. Like at some point it's the 15 cases and that's it. Yeah. I also feel like, I mean, the 15 cases I, we've seen, right? The Gemara gives us several different ways in which they are supposed to be there and not other cases, right? Not the six cases of much more stringent Ariot. Not this case of rape. Like there's a right? Meaning, so it has to be you know, universally agreed upon, whatever. Meaning, Rebbe was thinking very carefully. I think it's fascinating that the question is posed as like, uh, what's up with that, you know? And and I think that his rebuke is um, not polite, but but I kind of get it. I agree with you. Like, this is a curated list. And, and I think what's interesting also is it's a curated all of these lists and he's challenging the curator. <laughs> like, right. It, it, but, but all of these pages are kind of defending that, right. Defending the 15 cases. They belong there. We need charts to keep track of it, but the Gemara seems to have a handle on it. Right. And to be able to say like, well, we need this one for that. And that for that, we don't have that one because that doesn't make any sense. It's there's a machloket there. Those are too extreme, da, 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 right? There's a lot of um, chatter here that I feel the Gemara knows what it's talking about in the, in in presenting the 15, you know, it, it the Gemara goes to bat for the Mishnah, I think, bottom line. Yes, it does. And it, and you can understand the motivation. I mean, it needs to protect, Rabbi, you know, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi. And we see Rabbi Yochanan basically do that with Rachel Lakish also. Like he, he protects it as well. And remember, and that's why understanding some of these relationships are also important, right? That Rabbi Yochanan is a Talmud of Rabbi Yehuda Nasi. So he has that same sense of responsibility to protect that. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Barber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.